Good to see you. <clears throat> if you'll open your Bibles or your digitals or whatever they are uh, to uh, um, Matthew 18, the text that was just read. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, we started this study last week, and we often on Sunday evening use this more as a uh, Bible class format, and so that's what we're going to do this evening as well. Uh, first thing I want to do is uh, quickly give us a quick um, where are we in this text and what did we talk about uh, last week. So we'll start with just a, uh, a summary of the first nine uh, verses here. Uh, these are the things that we looked at. First, the context is the disciples came to Jesus and asked him the question, who is the greatest? And uh, Jesus now is proceeding to answer that question, and he certainly gives a quite different answer than what we might expect for him to give. Uh, in fact, gives different answers in other places that uh, he, uh, he addresses this particular question. So this is the framework. We should always look at this. We'll talk about this at the end of the lesson and how the words of Jesus up to through verse 14 actually teach us who's the greatest. So that will be uh, the key there. Uh, Jesus starts with the humility of a child, brings a child in the midst, says, unless you have this humility, uh, you can't enter the kingdom. This is, uh, this is first and foremost what you must have is the humility that a child would have. Goes on to talk about receiving uh, a contrast between receiving one of these little ones as opposed to causing them to stumble. And if you cause them to stumble, it'd be better for you if you were had a millstone tied around your neck and you were drowned in the depth of the sea. So immediately we get the idea Jesus is dead serious about this. Uh, he said these kinds of tests or stumblings uh, take place widespread. People do it all the time, but woe to the person who does it. That's, uh, that's pretty straightforward. As he gets to this part of the text, as, as uh, uh, Eli read for us in verse 5, he has transitioned from talking about children to talking about vulnerable Christians, people who are vulnerable, people who are vulnerable both in the faith and certainly it would apply to people who are outside as we will go ahead and look at as we come down through, through the text. So this contrast, we're either receiving or the other extreme would be causing one to, to stumble. And then he, in verses 8 and 9, talks about it would be better for us to remove certain body parts. Let's interpret that easily as certain things that we are in love with in this life that would have a tendency toward causing others to stumble. Uh, certain maybe character traits, maybe uh, actions, uh, the way we would uh, approach uh, fulfilling uh, things in our lives and what we would pursue. And he gets even more direct by saying uh, uh, to do this and not remove these things from our life is, uh, is going to cause us to cause someone to stumble. And he says the end result is be thrown into hellfire. Uh, that that again gives us an implication that this is an extremely serious lesson that Jesus gives. I mentioned to you last week, by the way, book of Matthew has five major discourses and this is one of them. 
So that ought to alert us, not that everything else Jesus said isn't really important, but Matthew uh, centers and focuses all his messages around the five discourses. So this is one of those five, and he has a lot of teaching that goes around that and miracles that go around that, and there, this, this uh, really is something that we need to pay careful attention to. So let's now uh, transition to this part that we didn't talk about, and that's verses, uh, <clears throat> verses 10 through 14. So verses 10 through 14, uh, let's, uh, let's just notice that as he begins with, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you the truth, that in heaven their angels always see the face, my Father is in heaven. And, and of course, Eli has read this part to us. So let's just begin with, what do you see as, what would you just summarize of the overall message of uh, these, these verses here, just 10 through 14? What, what would be your summary of those messages? You know, jump in and just uh, give us what you think you would highlight uh, in, that, in this section here. Yeah, go ahead, Elton. Oh, I thought you said something. I thought you were, you were, you nodded. So, I, you know, don't flinch here because I'll call on you. That's right. <laughs> what would you say? Give you a second to think about it. not less than others and the father seeks them uh, just like anyone else and uh, as verse 14 says uh, not happy not, does not want one of these little ones to perish so a, a very very strong emphasis there on uh, the desire to save even what we might say, the least or these little ones as he refers to them. Any, any other uh, overall message that you think are important, you would think would be important here? Outside. The prioritization of the lost and weak over the saved and healthy. Good, a wonderful, wonderful summation. There is a, there is a priority that is placed uh, upon the weak and vulnerable upon those who are lost, those who have gone astray, there's a priority that's placed there. And in fact, that priority is emphasized just in those words concerning a shepherd. Does he not leave the 99? Uh, that, and even in the idea of rejoicing, does he not, does, does, does people, do people in the shepherd do not rejoice more over the one who is brought back, who had gone astray, then over the 99, then already, uh, already saved. So there is a priority there. And we want, I want you to think about that. Some, when we get done with the exposition here, we want to talk a little bit about how would we apply that? In other words, have in your mind right now, um, what would it look like for us to prioritize others who are vulnerable or have gone astray over us. All right, so let's put that in our minds. 
All right, there is a transition here now, and maybe you've noticed this. There's a transition between what he said so far and don't cause a stumbling to go and search. Isn't that interesting? Quite a transition there. Because up to this particular point, we're just going, okay, I want to make sure I don't do anything to cause a vulnerable person to fall away. And we're not even thinking about, well, but what do I do if I see that they have? And so he transitions from more of a passive action where I'm not doing anything to cause somebody to stumble to a proactive action where I'm actually going and doing something about this. I'm going in search of the one who's gone astray. I think, I think that is really notable because the, the, the easiest thing in the world is, okay, maybe the best thing I can do is just keep my mouth shut. Maybe I won't cause somebody to stumble. Of course, you keep your mouth shut and you can cause somebody to stumble. <laughs> then they don't care about it. They don't think you care about them. So that, that's a, the other side of the coin. But you see that from, from more of a passive to a proactive stance uh, here that is really important. Okay, and then verse 10, a lot of you asked me about this last week and say, you are going to explain that, aren't you? <laughs> well, okay. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so they're angels, and the reason, verse 10, he says, they're, they're, I don't want you to despise one of these little ones, for uh, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. All right, before we explain that in detail, you understand the sense, don't you? What's the sense of that? To, even if you didn't know what, the, what this angel thing is about, what's the sense of that text? Okay, possibly some mediation going on, certainly. All right. Scope back a little further. What is really Christ concerned about, John? There's an awareness of every single person. Exactly. There is an awareness and somehow, possibly, as Teresa said, the angels are reporting to God. There is, a, there, there, is a, uh, there is an awareness of God of what's going on with these vulnerable people. Uh, can you think of ex examples of angels reporting back to God and going and looking over a particular city? Like Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> angels were sent to check out this city, and uh, God made a deal with Abraham. If you find ten righteous, we, if I find ten righteous in the city, in fact, he even says, uh, I'm going to go down now and see if they've done all together according to the report that's come back to me, and if not, I will know. And you can check that one out in Genesis 18, verse 20, and that's a harder text than this one is. <laughs> and if not, I will know. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, uh, good question uh, by Belinda here. Is the, are these little ones going back to talking about actual children, or are these little ones talking about a vulnerable group of believers, etc.? And that's easy to answer that if you will notice down in verse first. This phrase, little ones, is used three times in the text. Look at verse six. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, so right away we would say that's referring to adults, these who believe in me. He's talking about a believer. The last thing, the last verse, uh, in verse 14, he says it again. So it's not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Uh, so I think pretty obviously through the text, we're dealing with adults. Not that, by the way, you could not do something to a child that might be a lifelong detriment and stumbling to them. But in this particular text, he early on has transitioned, I think verse 5, pretty easily transitioned to comparing what this child is like to the vulnerable Christians, vulnerable believers, vulnerable adults, people in the world. These are all vulnerable. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. Okay, listen to the words. He says, do not cause an offense either to Jew, to Greek, or to the church of God. There's three categories there, aren't there? Jew, outsider. Greek, outsider. Church, inside. So we have to be concerned that we do not cause a stumbling to all of that category. And there's various ways that that could happen. And it indicates that we have to be very concerned and understanding about, especially those who are on the outside, but certainly true of those who are inside, that uh, we're cognizant of where their weaknesses might be. And this is, uh, in fact, the, the reason I've done lots and lots of classes in preparing people to teach others and just had classes where we talked about foolish things that Christians sometimes say <laughs> to, to somebody else. And what's interesting is you can say something true that is something that, is, that you could prove in the Scriptures but because you have not given the background to it and because they do not have a scriptural background, they understand you differently than what you intended. People do that all the time. You know, you're talking to somebody and, uh, and, and uh, you know, you, pretty soon the conversation you say, well, there's only one church. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing you could ever say. Because how are they hearing that? They're hearing it like, oh, you guys think you're the only ones going to heaven. That's how they hear that. And uh, so, you know, be aware. You just cause an offense by quoting a scripture without context. We have to be very careful. That's what I mean when I, you've heard me say it. Um, you're lobbing verse grenades at them. And you're blowing them to smithereens. <laughs> That's just total silliness. Be aware of how people are hearing what you say. And another thing of that is, it also teaches us that when we're explaining the scriptures to others, begin in the beginning. Don't begin in the middle. <laughs> you begin in the middle with no context, and everything you say is going to be taken 
you know, with lack of, a lack of understanding. So sympathetically and carefully, we have to ask ourselves, what am I trying to do here? Am I trying to save this soul or I'm just trying to be right? Major, major difference between the two. I'm not interested in being right. I'm interested in being scriptural, but it's not about me personally. It's about me helping them to see and understand the scriptures, not just throw a verse out. I, sorry to go off on this just a second. Very early on when I first started teaching and preaching, visiting a lady in, uh, uh, in, in her home. I, I've told this before, but it's been a long time. And we were talking about salvation, and, and I just blurted out, well, Scripture says baptism saves you. And she blew a cork and, and demanded that I leave her house. Anybody had believed such a silly thing as that, get out. And I said, well, it's right, it's right, get out. Now, I thought about that for a long time. And it took me actually years to realize what I had done wrong. In her mind, I had said, the water in that baptistry will save you. That's what I said. That's how she heard it. I gave her no context. In fact, the phrase baptism now saves you in 1 Peter 3.21 is in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> so, you know, you can really mess somebody up. And I have, there have been times that people, me and you, have been quoted and they took something right out of the middle of the sentence and said, you said. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Would you complete the sentence? Very simple. Anyway, we've got some specifics there, but I'm trying to point out. The main thing he's dealing with here is the Lord's aware of these vulnerable individuals and he does not want them to be perish, to perish, and he wants us to be careful so that because he's going to know about it. That's the overall message. Now, you say, well, you know, what about angels and, and, and all that? Uh, anybody know what the Hebrew writer referred to as far as what angels do concerning us? They, they, chapter 2 says they actually delivered the Word of God in the Old Testament times. That's exactly right. They did that. In regard to us as, as saved people, what, did, what did, were they for? Right before that verse. Chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 14. They are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of eternal life. You didn't know angels have been answering your prayers, did you? Or bringing your prayers before God. It says so in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 5. <laughs> and chapter 5 and verse 8. <laughs> so angels are part of this, this business. Angels came and ministered to Jesus after his, his temptations in the wilderness. And so, um, yeah, angels are part of... We can't detect it. We can't identify it. We can't feel it. But the Lord is part of that. Yeah. Do you think there's any significance to the term there? It doesn't just say angels are. Yeah. It seems like it's a very personalized 
They have their own. They have their own, yeah. And people have speculated about that a lot. And of course, I have all those answers, but I'm not telling you. Yeah. Thankfully, you reached the Fox Daniel, which indicated that at least some people Some people, yeah. There's one angel that kept visiting Daniel, and uh, Gabriel lasted for a long time. Uh, but no, I mean, I, who knows how, how that goes. But the, the, the bottom line is we know the sense of this, and that, and that is the, the idea there. Okay, uh, so if God is always aware, obviously then what is he looking for in us? Great care on what we're doing and how we are handling our relationships with those who are vulnerable, with those who are lost, uh, those who have gone astray. Okay? Um, now, let's, let's just go on from that. Uh, so, then he gives this brief parable. Not the only time in, in that Jesus in his uh, teaching gave this parable. And there's other context of that. Luke 15, of course. But he just says, what do you think? That's a rhetorical question. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them had gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? Uh, and he finds it, truly I say to you, rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Um, so first, what's an observation about the use of this parable? A uh, shepherd has a hundred sheep, one goes away. Observation just about that part, one out of a hundred. That's one percent. That's one percent. And a lot of businesses, if you're off one percent, hey, it's not worth the time to mess with this. Let's just, let's just uh, swallow that 1% that we somehow missed. But this is a life. This is a, a lamb. This is a value. If I, treated every t if I treated my flock like every time one, just one went astray, and I left it, <laughs> what eventually happens? And now there's two. Now there's three. Now there's four. These are, these are of great value. And when you think about, and I, I don't know how many of you have ever been around sheep. Uh, I, I was an ag major, uh, and uh, sheep are extremely vulnerable. When I think about a lamb uh, that is fallen in a ditch, uh, that can't get up, that somehow has put, uh, uh, put itself in a position, sometimes it's just can be just a divot in the ground. And they fell in that divot and they cannot recover from it. And, and they will die. And, and you think about the slow death that this animal is going to go through. Uh, maybe some of you would relate more to your dog <laughs> than you would a sheep. Go ahead, relate it to that. You don't want to see your dog suffer. None of us want to see any animal suffer. We, we hate that. Uh, it, it's, it's terrible. Uh, and so there's a compassion here. And he says, even this one that is that has gone astray. So as Allison mentioned, this, is, this mentions, this has a priority message, doesn't it? We're going to leave the 99 and go after the one astray. So as far as a church is concerned, where's the priority? 
It's not us. Okay. There, if, if, preachers have a lot uh, of times mentioned this. I'm not obviously the first or the last. But a church easily becomes inwardly focused. That's really simple. You're inwardly focused. We're more concerned about how this assembly went, how our worship went, how, and we get into sometimes details. Man, we ought to do something about the uh, parking lot. We ought to do something about the air conditioning. And we, we just, we can spend an awful lot of time uh, just discussing and talking about these things. I can tell you, by the way, that one of the great pleasures I have in working with the elders that are here is that when we get together and talk about things, we're talking about those who are in this group and others who are not and who could be vulnerable and what needs to be done. Uh, I cannot tell you how refreshing <laughs> that is. I've sat in too many elders meetings where we never discussed a living soul, but a whole lot of lifeless things like bricks and parking lots and whatever else. So uh, that's what, where we should be. But all of us have to be there that way, not just the elders. All of us have to be thinking that. So leave the 99. We need to think about ways we might apply that. Um, might stop right here and say, Can, is, there, is there some way we are, some ways that we are not putting the ones astray ahead of the 99? Are there ways that we are more inward thinking, selfishly thinking, than, than this? So uh, I'm going to go back to that in just a second. We're going to explore that question. But let's first ask this, okay? He says, and if he finds it. What's the implication? When he went out to get this one, he's, he, he, the, the scripture, Jesus said, and if he finds it. What does that tell you about his decision to search? Okay, good. The decision to make, he made was absolutely important, but he didn't know if he was going to find it. Do we ever attempt and, and, and try to figure out ways to, to search for those who are lost, not knowing if it'll work or not? Sure. I cannot count the number of times I've heard... Christians and sometimes even leaders say things like, well, I don't think that would work. Uh, I loved what one elder said when I was in Fayetteville, Arkansas, when another elder said that. He looked at him and said, well, what we're doing isn't working. <laughs> Why not try something else? 
<laughs> and uh, the, art, the, the discussion was over whether or not we would have a few neighborhood Bible studies or started with just one neighborhood Bible study on Wednesday night. While some met here, we started to study in a home. And all of Northwest Arkansas and half of Missouri and Oklahoma had an ever-loving ever meltdown because some of us didn't come to the building on Wednesday night. And many, many said before we did it that, well, it won't work. Uh, we end up having uh, eight baptisms, seven baptisms in seven months. But it didn't work uh, right out of our neighborhoods. So if a fisherman had that attitude, he would never catch fish. And if, you're a, if you've ever fished, you know what you do. Well, let's try this spot. Well, let's try this bait. Well, let's try this lure. And I remember my grandfather many times saying, well, didn't get anything here. Let's try someplace else. It's all right. So Jesus compared reaching out and trying to help people come to Christ with fishing for men. And, and that is, is legitimate. He doesn't know whether this is going to work or not. He doesn't know whether he's going to find him or not. But it doesn't stop him from going out. He doesn't say to himself, well, since I don't know, I just won't try. That's not the way we have to look at this. It's our job to try. If we can't find, the person doesn't come back, the person doesn't repent, that's on them. But we certainly don't want it to be on us. Uh, and so this... This, again, calls upon us not to have inward thinking, but remember our priority. This is a priority mission to save those who are lost. It's priority mission above us. We're already saved. Okay, priority mission here. All right, and then he rejoices over it more than over the 99. <laughs> and somebody said, well, what about us? <laughs> well, he says he rejoices over you, but he rejoices more over the one who came back. You and I are saved. What about us? God saved us, and Chip's mentioned this a number of times, God saved us for a purpose, to be his workers in order to bring others to him. Uh, that, that is his job. And then, of course, finally here, he says, in the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that one of these little ones be lost. Just like you're not willing for one sheep out of a hundred to be lost, if you're a shepherd, your father is not, is not willing to have even one of these perish. So that really hit me deeply when I studied this. There's people you know, and there's people I know, that are lost. Do you look at them and have conversations with them within your mind thinking, it is not the will of my heavenly Father that this person perish. Hmm. That changed an attitude in me. That <laughs> changed a perception in me. It changed a desire in me when I knew that God is thinking about this person that I'm talking to and I should be thinking the same thing. He, it is not his will that this little one here should perish. That should really change us. Okay? Beautiful picture. All right. So, question is, have we actually left the 99? All right. What does this end here with all these words? What does this have to do with the question of the disciples, who is the greatest? 
what all these teachings that he did all the way down, what does it have to do with answering the question, who is the greatest? Okay. So what was the focus of the disciples when they asked that question? They're talking about themselves, aren't they? That's exactly right. Yeah, he, they're thinking of themselves. And what did Jesus do? All the way down the text. Quit thinking about yourself and start thinking about who your heavenly Father has died to save. I don't think you can find a more powerful text in all of the book of Matthew with what Jesus is saying and when we get it down to real application. All the way through here, he is warning us to think about the words, millstone around your neck, cast into the sea, enduring the hell of fire. See, he transitioned from causing the stumbling to searching for the one who stumbled. So it really is a broad application. And he's warning strongly, your heavenly father does not want this one to perish. If we look at every person that way, every person we know and every person we meet, at the very least, prayers should be bursting out of our heads when we're around them, thinking, saying to God, Please help me. I don't know how to do this. Help me have a conversation that somehow, some way, I get an opening. At the very least, that should be in our heads. And prayers at night and prayers in the morning for this person that we know and giving us that opportunity. When we start thinking that way. It will help us to get our minds in tune with our Father in heaven. Um, how would you evaluate the importance of a lost soul in your life on the scale of 1 to 10? I'm not going to ask you to blurt it out. I want you to give it some thought. Back in about 1998 or so, a dear friend um, who pre used to preach down in Alabama, Harold Comer, uh, many of you know Harold, uh, very, very evangelistic. He held about 50 meetings in a two-year period, and he handed out a blank piece of paper in every, of, in every one of the 50 meetings before he left, and he said, I would just like you to write a number on the paper. Don't put your name, just write a number, and put it in a box in the back or hand it to me or whatever. And he says, I want you to write a number, one to 10, 10 being the greatest, on how you see yourself and this church and how you, you evaluate the priority of saving a lost soul. And after 50 churches, the average answer was two. What did Jesus say? In this text, that's unacceptable. That is unacceptable. 
showed, I think, a fault in preachers, showed a fault in leaders and elders in the church, showed a fault in how the members were studying their Bible and thinking about why they're here and what they're doing. All kinds of things should come up with that. We, we, we cannot, each of us individually, cannot tolerate that in our own thinking, in our own lives. And answer asking the question differently would be this. Do we put the lost at a 10 priority in our lives, in our church, and in our worship? So those are three areas. Lives, church, specifically worship periods. So we have to be thinking about, like in worship, we have to be thinking about how does somebody who visits who's not a Christian, how do they see what we're doing? Do we do anything that would cause them to say, what kind of kooky, crazy group is this? <laughs> um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23 and, and following, Paul actually made that analogy and warning the Christians at, at Corinth. He says, if everybody here, and of course this is during the time of the spiritual gifts and the use of spiritual gifts in the assembly, he says, if anyone, if everybody here spoke in tongues and an and a unbeliever came in and can't understand what's going on, would he not say you're out of your mind? But if you prophesy, in other words, teach plainly in God's word, would he not then be struck in the heart, fall on his face, and worship God and say, surely God is among you. So we always need to examine carefully, and I think this is a discussion for a later, and this, this our thing tonight is going to continue next Sunday night. We're going to do a finality, and the next Sunday night will be primarily and almost completely about uh, discussing applications, how we can change our focus in lives, church, worship. Okay, those, those three areas. So I, I encourage you to be thinking in some of those uh, terms. So we want this 10 priority, because that's what the Lord has said here. We want this priority of the one over the 99. So when you think about leaving the 99, what do we want to think about? We want to think about leaving what we think in our lives is a priority so that we can make someone who's vulnerable or lost our priority. All right? That's, that's what we want to look at. So here again, I presented this question last week. Are there scriptural changes we could make as a church that would enable us to receive and not cause one to stumble? I have some ideas in my mind. I'm hoping you'll see them before I tell them to you. But, uh, and then, are there scriptural changes we could make to become more welcoming to our community around us? What would be some of those things? You know, one way to look at that is to ask the question, if I'm, vis if I'm looking for a place to worship, if I'm looking for a church... Is there something about us 
whether in our assemblies or whatever, is there something about us that would cause me to stumble, cause me to think, not that place. Okay, so those are the things we need to think about for next time. All right, so next time will be all applications on what we talked about. Um, as you go through the week, you might have a piece of paper sitting on your kitchen sink or something like that. Meditate on these things. Jot some things down. I'm really interested in, in what you think about that. The elders and I have had some of these discussions. They're interested in what you think about it. Uh, all of us together need to work this out so that we can better ourselves. And sometimes it just may be simple little things to be more aware of how someone hear, hears us or sees us. Okay? You've been great. Thank you very much. I know we're getting down to, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable here. <laughs> Isn't it about time we Christians from time to time felt a little uncomfortable? Yeah. And don't think that when I'm presenting this, it means I'm just totally comfortable. I'm not. This is uncomfortable, it always is, to think about what I can do. In fact, uh, Drew mentioned this morning, Psalm 139, and David said, try me, Lord, test me. And I thought, I jotted down in my notes, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I'm scared to do that. He might tell me to do something that I'm not comfortable with. <laughs> That's who we are, isn't it? <laughs> All right. We're going to sing a song. Thank you. I am so blessed to be with you. I trust you. Uh, you are um, uh, my heaven in the last years of my life or days or whatever it is. And uh, you have meant the world to me and will always mean so much to me. Thank you uh, for who you are. We're going to stand and sing. If we can help you in any way, please uh, let it be known while we stand and sing.